What's up, everybody, and welcome to episode 80 of the Talking Chop podcast. I am your host, Brad Roland, and uh, joining me for the first time in a while, you know him, you love him. What's up, Grav? Not much, man. How are you doing? Glad to be back on here. Yeah, it's been too long. I, I take full responsibility for that. Um, I think I think it's just your boy, Eric, uh, monopol- monopolizing the appearances, so you should, <laughs> you should get on Eric for that. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, it's my error, and I apologize, but uh, I'm glad you're here, man. Uh, a lot to talk about. This week, it's been a very busy week. Um, some good, some bad. Uh, Sunday was fun because Max Fried pitched well, and the Braves won a baseball game, um, which doesn't has not been happening uh, so much recently. But uh, you know, other than that, it was sort of a weird week in terms of results. Not that results matter a ton right now, wins and losses. But uh, the doubleheader day was fun, and basically the rest of the week was not. So I don't know. I, I mean, how are you feeling in general as a Braves fan slash um, writer slash supporter right now? It's sort of sort of a weird time because. The games don't matter, but there's still stuff going on. I don't know, it's weird. Yeah, you, you hate to see losses, especially one where your offense puts up 12 runs and you still lose. But at the same time, it's fun to see these these new players, the ones that are going to be cornerstones for your franchise, start to, to come up and play well. Ozzy Albies has been out of his mind. Uh, he had a great series against the Cubs. Swanson, since his return, has been great. And then Max Freed looked dynamic today. I haven't seen that kind of change up from him. Uh, really too much, and his changeup was just almost unhittable. His curveball made Rizzo look like he was playing t-ball. Uh, well, maybe not t-ball, but uh, you know, he he made Rizzo he embarrassed Rizzo with that curveball. And then his fastball was a little his location was spotty a little bit, but uh, he was able to dial it up to ninety five when he had to. And it was just so much fun watching. Him, Rio, Swanson, and Albies all just have great days. Yeah, I mean, it's been... That's the fun part about it right now, because they're all playing so well. Like, Dansby's OPS is like 900 since he came back. Ozzy's been good. I mean, in general, Rio, I've always kind of caped for uh, to an extent in terms of, at least lately. Like, I, I still don't think he's like a starter necessarily long term, but he could be that. And like the fact that he's actually getting some time now, it, it took a it took a Brandon Phillips trade for it to happen, which we could talk about in a second because that actually happened obviously since the last time we recorded the podcast. But uh, just watching those three guys, among others, you know, Ozzy has a one eleven WRC plus. It's a small sample; it's one hundred and twenty five plate appearances, but like he's been really fun and really. Uh, you know, I think we kind of knew he'd be entertaining to watch, but he's also been good. Um, which is always nice because uh, even w- even when the team is losing, because as you mentioned, lo- scoring twelve runs and losing a game, man, uh, doesn't happen all that often. I, th- yeah. I saw a stat. This I saw that stat after that game that was like it's happened like five times in the last like three years, and, tw- and uh, two of them were the Braves. So uh, mm. yeah, not the greatest thing you want to be uh, featured in, but uh, it happens. And uh, again, the results don't really matter as much as um, the guys, the, the young guys, especially playing. But I guess we could talk about Phillips because that was sort of the headliner in terms of uh, actual uh, moves that took place. Place this week. Um, if you guys missed this, I can't imagine you did. But earlier on this week, the Braves traded Brandon Phillips to the Angels, essentially for very little. They got they got Tony Sanchez, who's 29 years old, a former top five pick, but not necessarily a prospect anymore. It was basically just let's send Brandon Phillips to a team where he can be in the playoff race and a team that he'll approve his no trade clause to. Uh, what was your reaction? A lot of people were, were mad online about this. I was not one of them, but uh, maybe, maybe you were. I was I was not. I <laughs> totally get it. Like the Braves have done a good job of that with in terms of veterans trying to find them a home uh, where they have a chance to compete for like a, a playoff spot or playoff positioning or compete for the playoffs when they know that they're not going to do it themselves. Uh, you weren't going to get much for Brandon Phillips, uh, a usable, a usable uh, catcher is fine by me. I mean, Sanchez, like you said, he was a former big, big pick, but uh, he's, he's a perfectly capable backup catcher, especially with flowers out it can take time for him to rehab, and I'm not going to go too much into rehab because I don't want to make you angry with... Uh, oh, it's coming. Don't worry, folks. Don't angry. worry, folks. The rant <laughs> is coming. I, I teased it earlier. Uh, I don't rant very much on this podcast. I will get there momentarily, but please continue on, on Sanchez. I mean, Sanchez is, is your prototypical backup catcher. Uh, you wish his caught stealing. I think his, he offers around like 25 to 30% behind the plate in caught stealing, but he calls a decent game. Uh, I've... Uh, I had to do a, bun- a bunch of research when the trade happened because I hadn't heard from Sanchez in quite some time. But from what I know, uh, pitchers like pitching to him. And uh, he's got a decent bat. So to get a actual starting caliber 
player in return for a couple of months of a player you had no that you weren't going to really use, especially with Camargo coming back and Rio and Rio coming back up. Uh, I think it was fine. You're really not going to get too much for for Phillips. Yeah, I mean, I, my general reaction to that was people. If you were mad about that, I just don't understand it. Honestly, I don't, I don't think our I don't think our listeners were mad about that. I think it was the extreme casual Braves fan, honestly, that just like likes Brandon Phillips and he they know that he's from Atlanta. It's like, oh, we got we gave, we gave this guy away from nothing. It's like, well, he he wasn't going to be back uh, most likely, and by the way, he still could be back if they wanted to sign him that badly for next year. He'll still be a free agent. Uh, it doesn't change their ability to bring him back for next year, and having him around for a month longer now doesn't really make any difference uh you know the return is what it is it's not hugely significant i think you're higher on it than most people which is fine uh, i mean it doesn't bother me at all it's a guy you can uh at least be useful for you potentially and uh you know if you if you like brandon phillips a lot i think you probably almost want him to be on the angels um and be in the midst of a playoff race and kind of just be out there and be in, have a chance to compete for something because this team's obviously not doing that right now so i think it works for everybody all around phillips was uh pretty darn good actually i looked pretty silly i was uh not that I didn't like the move to sign Brandon Phillips or trade for Brandon Phillips, I should say, because it was a, a very, very low risk move. They basically owed him no money, so uh, I was okay with it at the time. But um, in the same breath, I was uh, skeptical about him being um, functional. I thought he'd probably lose his job pretty quickly, um, and I was wrong about that. He actually played quite well, and even when he was playing third base, played played quite well. So uh, shouts to him for playing well and returning some value because again, he was making no money, so that that move worked. Uh, that was one of the, I don't want to say that was one of the few moves that worked, but not, not every move has worked recently. That one definitely did at the major level. And, I mean, at worst case, like I said, Sanchez is a viable backup catcher. But if you're not able to re-sign Suzuki, you know, you could have him playing behind Flowers. So having any type of player that is able to contribute right away for a one-month rental, I, I don't know. I have no problem with it. Yeah, it's uh, totally fine with me. As well, uh, you uh, you sort of tease this for me, but it's time. I think um, a little bit of background here. Uh, I'm sure if you've been paying attention to all of the Braves, you've heard about this or seen somebody's Twitter feed that was talking about it. But uh, Freddie Freeman's wrist is not right um, after the uh, now legendary 14 to 12 loss on Saturday. Uh, this is the quote he gave to the media. I will read it verbatim. Uh, he said, it's the wet newspaper I've been swinging. I got through it a couple times today and made contact. I needed to do it again in the last at bat. I didn't do it. I'm not able to get through balls. I've got nothing left, really. Uh, that was the Saturday night description of his wrist, which has been, uh, which is the reason, of course, that he missed some time earlier in the year and uh, has clearly been bothering him since he came back, although he's still been good, just not superhuman like he was before that. Uh, and then uh, Sunday morning, he did a... Um, an interview uh, again, again with the media that was uh, at least the first place that I saw it was on Fox Sports uh, Braves Twitter account with Kelsey Wingert. So shouts to Kelsey. Um, and Freeman repeatedly said that he just doesn't have the strength in that wrist, quote unquote. And he said on the record that a Braves doctor told him to take a day off on Sunday. Uh, needless to say, that did not happen. Uh, Freddie Freeman has played in every single game since coming off the DL, despite not being uh, healthy and this team not being in a. Uh, Playoff race of any sort. Uh, I, yes, let me say that again. He's not taking a single day off since coming back, uh, which doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. Uh, before I before I go off on this, and I'm going to, where are you at with this, uh, given all that I said there and uh, sort of the surrounding context? Because uh, obviously I'm not very happy about it. I'm trying to hold back my feelings until I uh, give you the floor. But uh, please tell me how you think about Freddie at this point. I'm going to walk on the fence right here for you. Do it. I. Uh, Honestly, I understand both sides. I don't have access to the medicals, so I don't know what's going on, but I understand reading those quotes being absolutely terrifying for a fan or any type of any type of person to see your franchise player, the guy you're building your entire team around, say that he doesn't have any strength. He's not feeling pain, but he has no strength in his in his wrist. So yeah, I I I, I can totally see it from both sides. I hate not knowing, not being able to like look at an MRI or whatever, but uh to be able to decidedly pick a pick a corner of this fight, uh, so I'm going to just say right in the middle and say I understand both sides of this argument. Yeah, and listen, I would not have been so so un- unhappy about this uh, had I not been given more information today um, by, Freddie, by by Freddie himself. Uh, I was upset about this on Saturday night um, in some way, just because. It does not look good when you're uh, trotting your best player out there. Uh, by the way, a guy who you, uh, 
I'm not sure you asked to, but you you allowed to move to third base coming off the injury um, in order to make way from for Matt Adams, who by the way you still have, and now for reasons you refuse to play Matt Adams. Not that Matt Adams is better than Freddie Freeman because he's not, and if you're trying to win games uh, right now, you want Freddie Freeman to play, but. Uh, you're not trying to win games. Uh, so I, for me, I always fall down on the side of there's very little to risk here. And again, I, I do understand all of the medical stuff that's out there. Um, we don't know it all. I will be the first person to say that we don't know it all. And they have said that there's, uh, quote unquote, no risk in terms of uh, him of this getting worse. But Freddie actually said on the record that he is feeling worse on a daily basis. Um I don't, that does, that's not, that's not, that is not the same thing as, as damaging it worse. I will be the first to say that. But at the same time, it does feel pretty confident to me that it, uh, it's not going to get better with him playing on it every single day. I just don't understand that. Uh, I would have argued, and I still will argue right now um, more calmly, that I would shut him down or at least explore giving him a week off to see how, how it responds, not necessarily sending him home because that's not going to happen. I know he's, that's not going to happen. And that was the big thing is that Freddie basically said on the record today that there's no chance of coming out of the lineup. Um, I wouldn't let it be Freddie's decision. Uh, shouts to Freddie. I'm, this is not Freddie's thing at all. He's always going to play. He's that kind of guy. He's always the, been the guy since he came up in the lineup that plays like 160 games a year. Like he's always in the lineup, and that is a good thing. You you want your guy to want to play even when he's not 100. percent That's not. This is not on him at all. I will say. And again, I'm, I will entertain the argument. Like just like you said, I, I get the other side of this. So if you disagree and think that he shouldn't be shut down for any period of time, I totally get that. I would take the absolute cautious approach because that's just the way that I'm wired with your best player by far, your one cemented franchise guy. You know, you have some good players on this team. You have some great prospects on this team. But Freddie is a you know by far your best player. Um, I would be taking it easy with him 100%. But um, on Sunday, the notion that a doctor would tell him and that he would release this information publicly that he was asked to take a day off on Sunday. One day. One day off. I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't see how someone doesn't stop, doesn't step in and say, hey, Freddie, you're not playing today. Like, I don't care if it's just one day. I mean, the, the, for me, it's the whole concept of you cannot tell me that it's better for him to play every single day. He's not taking a single day off. Like, you're not playing for anything. Just take him out. And it's Sunday afternoon. The funny thing about it and the sort of the timing of it all was that Sunday afternoon has always been, since I was a child in the Bobby Cox era, Sunday was the day that guys took days off. That was the day you gave guys off, always. It was Sunday. It was perfect. Just give them the day off. There was no reason you're on the road. You're not worried about upsetting your fans for not being able to see Freddie Freeman, et cetera, et cetera. Like, why is he playing if they've told him to take a day off like the the doctor he said this on the record like i don't that's my thing i i don't often rant like this i'm pretty even keeled in general but this really rub, rubbed me the wrong way like i'm not arguing he has to be shut down but i don't understand the concept of him having to play every single day and he said it on the record again today that he's not going to take a day off until october 2nd that was what he said I think that's insane. I do. And that's, again, not his fault. I think if you're the manager or you're the front office or a combination of both, you say, hey, Freddie, how about a day off? Even if it's just one, like see how it feels in two days if you get if you get a day off. Like you don't have to take him out of the lineup for the rest of the season, but I just don't see how it's okay to know publicly. The one thing that we do know at this point about his wrist is that, A, he, he says it's not doing well and then it's getting worse and then he has no strength in it. And B, that he was told by a doctor employed by the team to take the day off. Like, that's what we know. I, I know we don't know a ton, but that's what we know. And with that information, I don't see how he's supposed to be playing every day. I don't get it. And well, it we'll, find out. we'll <laughs> find out tomorrow, right? We're supposed to get clear. He's supposed to see the doctor and we'll get... Uh, yeah, I might uh, look silly now. I mean, I'm, I'm saying all this with the risk of uh, this podcast is going to post overnight on Sunday evening and uh, we might have more information by the time people listen to this and I might seem like an idiot. But, uh, <laughs> you know, it is what it is, man. Like, it just, it fired me up. I really don't like this. And uh, it's no, it's tough because you don't, there's not, there's nobody to pin it on. Like, there's not one person. You know, Freddie's going to want to play. If Snicker is told that he's, cleared to play quote unquote then I guess you put him in the lineup and if the front office doesn't stop it then it's I get it but somebody for me has got to step in and say hey man the doctor told you not to play today we're gonna to take you out of the lineup it shouldn't be that hard that's that's my that's my deal I, if this, is a, if this is a pennant race man I get it but you know it's not say it again you make a compelling case anyway I, I don't get I don't get fired up that often about this kind of stuff I, I, I told Scott Coleman I think even 
online today that uh, I have not I have not been this fired up since the Alex Wood trade, and that was the last time I was I was this upset. Um, and upset's probably the wrong word. Just kind of annoyed. I don't know. I just it sits wrong with me in every way. And I, you know, some smart people are on the other side of this thing. You know, Dob's on the other side of this thing. A couple guys that I trust online who are, you know, I, I think are not stupid by any means. Uh, believe that I'm wrong about this. So this is not like a hundred percent to zero percent uh, argument. I'll grant that. It just doesn't sit right with me. That's where I am with it. Uh, sorry, I appreciate you uh, sort of enduring that, Garof, and uh, calmly at that. I was looking forward to it. Uh, I did warn you that was going to happen. So you did. I, uh, I know people that listen might see that, dif- that different side of me and get excited, but uh, we can move on from there. We've stated our positions on Freddie, and I'm sure he'll begin to line up when the Braves play their next baseball game because that's what's happening at this point. Uh, <laughs> to more fun stuff, it's September, and some young guys are up. Uh, obviously, we talked a little bit about this earlier, um, but Free- Max Freed and Rio Ruiz were among the September call-ups. Um, a couple of guys, of course, joined them. Uh, Ronald Acuna was not one of them, unfortunately, for the excitement factor, although I wouldn't have called him up. But uh, I know we briefly talked about Freed, who pitched very, very well today. But what, what's your, what was your reaction? I mean, I think neither one of those guys getting called up was a, was a shock by any means with the roster going to 40. But what do you expect to see from those guys? I think Freed looked better than I thought he would today, and I, I'm, I'm looking forward to just seeing Rio play more often than not. You know, when Camargo comes back, maybe we won't see him quite as often, but him him hitting well against the lefty today was encouraging. So kind of where are you at with, with those two guys in, in particular? Well, when we when you talk about Freed, I had him as my number one pitching prospect actually last year because I liked his arsenal that much. I thought he was extremely advanced for his age. I thought he had great pitchability. He has a great head on his shoulder as well. Head on his shoulders as well. Uh, I loved every aspect of him. I loved his curveball. I thought his fastball had a good amount of run on it too. And then that was without seeing this new change that looks like he apparently has developed even more over the season. Uh, I think he's going to be a mainstay in the rotation. I really like him as long as, and I think everyone needs to pray to whoever they worship uh, that he stays healthy. Yes. He's bladder. He's, you know, back issues, Tommy John, blisters. There's there's a bunch of things that have gotten in his way that have stunted his growth. And we just have to hope that he stays healthy because he has an incredibly impressive arsenal. And I think he can be a, a mainstay in rotation for a long time. Uh, as for Rio, I agree with you. I know that you talk to a lot of people and I might be one of the lowest on him and I would love nothing more than to be wrong about him because by all accounts, he's incredibly hardworking and he puts it in ton of time to improve. I mean, he came to, he came to camp last year and looked absolutely fantastic. He really took care of his body and he, he dropped some, uh, you know, some, some weight and came ready to play and prove himself. Uh, Unfortunately, he just struggles so much against left-handed pitching that it's hard to trust him to be an everyday third baseman. I think he is the best platoon. He'd be a fantastic platoon player. Uh, I don't know Camargo splits off the top of my head against against lefties, but um, over his entire minor league career, uh, Rio has a sub-700 OPS against left-handed pitching. So I think that's a pretty solid amount of data to look at and assume that he's not going to improve that much against left-handed pitching. So I personally, I don't see him as an everyday third baseman, though he plays a great defensive third base and he absolutely mashes right-handed pitching. Uh, So maybe you just play, you know, you play him enough where that you don't see too many left-handed pitchers in the league. So maybe it outweighs itself. Uh, but I think he and Kamara would be a fantastic platoon going forward and even as far as going into next year. Yeah, I mean, I'm of the mind, I'm with you 100% on his left-handed pitching um, struggles. I'm of the mind where I I personally would play him every single day the rest of the season Uh, unless he, you know, gets banged up or something like that. Camargo is interesting for for a number of reasons, but... A, he's not even right yet, and B, you know, I think I still think he's more of a utility guy long term. Uh, you know, if it if it comes to the point where you think that Rio, not that you're giving up on him hitting left-handed pitching, but if you think that as of as of 2018 he isn't credible against left-handed pitching, I understand that. Um, but giving him a full month here would be interesting to me, um, just because he's the guy who is more projectable, in my opinion, than Camargo. The ceiling is much higher um, for for Rio than I would think anybody anybody else in the. Uh, 
not I almost said almost said the organization. Uh, anybody else on the on the major league roster in terms of third base? So I I'd like to see him play a lot um, in September, especially against lefty, just to see what he looks like. It's never going to be a big enough sample for it to actually like quote unquote matter. Um, but at the same time, it would be good if you could see him like today against left handed starter. It was good. It was good to see him. wasn't the, wasn't the most high end left handed starter in the world, but you know he looked comfortable ish against left handed pitching, which is encouraging. Um, so yeah. I, I guess one of the questions that we keep getting asked, and I guess you kind of, I think you sort of alluded to it there, is whether you'd be cool with that um, going into 2018 as your third base platoon. Whether it, I guess, um, just coming out and saying, "All right, this is this is what we got to start the season in, in April." We, I guess it sounds like you might be all right with that. Yeah, mainly because there's what uh, Mike Mustakis is the only, I guess you could call marquee third base free agent. <laughs> close, close to marquee, yes. Yeah, I, I'm. There's not too much depth available, and I think that a platoon of Rio and Camargo and uh, would come close to any other of the uh, free agents. And one note on Camargo, like I, I do agree with you. I don't think I think Camargo played out of his mind. Yes, uh, and he's going to come down a lot. But I do like him in a utility bench role. Uh, I remember just a couple of years ago. Uh, from the stories I heard about him, he just wasn't someone who was interested in being a professional baseball player. Like he, he would come, he would show up late. He wouldn't put in the time and then something clicked for him recently. And uh, ever since then, his last two seasons in minor league ball, you will see a noticeable difference in his physical appearance and then his, uh, and then his performance. And so I don't know if we've seen peak Camargo yet, and who knows if he is capable of continuing to progress and then could possibly become a everyday player. But right now, I would have to agree with you. I do not believe he is a everyday. And like, I think he's passable against left-handed pitching. He's better at it than Rio. So if you did, if you did go that role, I would like to see a strict platoon for the two of them. Yeah, and that's... That's kind of the only way that I would be okay with it going into 2018, um, just because I think that you at least have to explore the trade market. I'm not saying there's an obvious fit there. We had a question uh, this week about Manny Machado, a couple questions about him. Josh Donaldson, the bigger names uh, are going to get thrown around. Uh, I, don't think any, I don't think any single deal is, is particularly likely. I do think the Braves are going to look at it because of how many times Copy has said they want to be better at third base in 2018, uh, on the record and off the record, uh, and in like... In, in reported, you know, season ticket holder events, like it's one of the things that he's always asked in these kind of things publicly, and he always mentions third base. So I think they're going to at least look at third base as a spot to potentially add somebody, whether it be Mustakis or whether it be um, a trade candidate. I think trades more likely than them paying real money for Mike Mustakis. Um, but I think it, it's at least pretty likely to me that, that that somebody outside the organization is playing third base opening day. But if, it, if that doesn't happen, then I mean, what makes the most sense is absolutely. Uh, some sort of platoon, whether it be Rio and Camargo or Rio and Adonis Garcia. Um, Garcia, I, I don't love, but the one thing that he does do is hit left-handed pitching. Um, so I wouldn't love that because he's on the older side. There's not really a whole lot of projection there. But if you wanted to keep Camargo a, a little more flexible in his sort of utility role, um, and and if for, if for some reason they're in, I think they're, they're, they're still in love with, with Adonis Garcia for some reason. Hmm. Um, so if he's on the roster... That's the only way he really brings value is as a bench bat against left-handed pitching or a or a third base platoon guy. So I guess that would be a way to keep him. And he is incredibly cheap, which they I think they do like about him. Um, for some, because as as old as he is, he's not even arbitration yet. So like he's making absolutely no money. Uh, so yeah, I mean, I think platoon is the best way to approach it, unless they go outside of the organization. And people keep asking what we think about that. Uh, there's no way to know. I do think it's at least conceivable though that they, that they go outside but if it's inside it's Rio and somebody at third whether it be Camargo which is probably more likely or Adonis which is you know that's that's fine I mean maybe they'll sign Brandon Phillips again girl people will be really, really excited yeah. about that <laughs> <laughs> to bring things full circle um okay well that's that's interesting um a couple other things happened I mean it was a kind of a weird I almost said funny it's not really a funny situation where the Braves tweeted out they had DFA'd Micah Johnson and then about an hour later, decided that they hadn't done that. So I'm not sure whose fault that was, but it was sort of a, I'm glad they didn't do that because I like Michael Johnson a little bit. But uh, unfortunate for him, I'm sure he got a lot of calls in that hour. Um, well, he even tweeted out right oh, after. Oh, yeah, he tweeted out right after word. 
uh, of Bowman saying that he was released, and he was like, "This is the first time I've heard about it." Oh, I, I missed that. No, I mean, that, that's, <laughs> that's what I would have done if I was him. So I'm glad he did that. And and it wasn't. Listen, that wasn't Bowman. Or I mean, we did we did it too. Uh, that was the the Braves. Yeah. They've since deleted that, but they that they that was a formal announcement from the Braves that said uh, we've designated uh, Michael Johnson for an assignment. So that was nobody's fault other than the Braves. Somebody messed up. Um, whether it be the front office or the social media person, somebody had the wrong message <laughs> there. So uh, not Bowman's fault, not our fault, and uh, apologies to Micah, but at least he's still on the team. Yeah, <laughs> and then he hit his first home run of the season. Yeah, I think uh, yesterday <laughs> he, was, he, he was motivated. That's all it was. Uh, so that's not really a big takeaway, just something to note because it was kind of amusing. Uh, the only other thing of uh, note news-wise was Tyler Flowers going on the DL since the last time we recorded the podcast. doesn't sound super serious because he played after he got hurt. He stayed in the game on Monday, um, but then immediately won the DL um, right after that. I'm not terribly worried about that, but he's a guy they have every incentive to be careful with because they have him under contract for next year. Uh, obviously, he's not the same kind of guy as Freddie Freeman, but Tyler Flowers has been awesome this year, and they have him for cheap next year. So if they need to shut him down, I, I would say please be ca- please be cautious with Tyler Flowers because mm-hmm. uh, he's your starter next year unless something crazy happens. Yeah, I think it was a by hit by pitch too, right? Yeah, yeah hit in the hand, hand contusion type thing. Yeah, I 100% agree. Take all the time you need. Sit out the season. It doesn't matter. Make sure he's nice and healthy for 2018. Yep, and they have they have Suzuki, and they have a couple of they have is it Freitas? Is that how you say his name? Yes, uh, Freitas, and then they have uh, Sanchez. So they have some options if they want to just get through September with uh, the catching spot. If they want to just chill with Tyler Flowers, I'd like to see him again if he's healthy. If he's one hundred percent, then play him for sure. But uh, no reason to rush him. Uh, after that, some uh, some more hypothetical stuff. Uh, I, could, I think it was Monday. A, a piece from Ken Rosenthal of the athletic hit that uh, caused a lot of waves in terms of actual national baseball, and it has to do with the Braves. Um, the headline quote um, in Rosenthal's story about the front office was that, and I quote, it's a power struggle over who is running the club. Is John Sherholtz running the club, or are John Hart and John Coppolello running, running it? Question mark That came from a quote-unquote team official. Uh, that sent a lot of people uh, sort of scrambling a little bit. Uh, Keith Law of ESPN immediately said that he didn't kind of buy it uh, and in a little bit harsher terms than I'm saying it. Um, I'm not sure if you read the whole thing, but uh, I know it's sort of been out there that, you know, as part of that piece, a couple of organizational changes happening, not not huge names, not like copy or heart is going to be out or anything, but some guys below them in the scouting department and lower in the front office um, changing jobs and titles. Uh, none of that stuff is super headline worthy, but there is this big question about who's running the Braves, and it does make some sense because of all the ways that they've kind of uh, not gone fully into the tank necessarily, and the way the Cubs and the Astros did, Cubs and the Astros have done. They've still tried to sort of fake it at the major league level. Uh, kind of where are you at with that whole question? I know we don't have any inside sources on uh, who's running the team actually, in the way that the question sort of was asked in this piece, but sort of how are you feeling about the front office and the way that they've sort of done all these things uh, recently? It is very interesting, and I I do kind of wish they would choose which way to go, like which way they wanted to attack these last couple years and leading into the future. I'm on the side of what I assume copy would be, and that'd be full tank, you know, get rid of your assets, draft high ceiling players, which they have done, but then now you're sitting right now, I think we're in the eighth position in the draft as of right now, and we know we're not going to make the playoffs and it's just kind of frustrating to not have a better, better draft pick of like a top five, a top three pick for a season like this. I think you're losing out on some talent, uh, some higher end talent earlier in the draft. Uh, it's an interesting dynamic and I hope they are able to work this through as these better players. I know that sounds bad. Uh, <laughs> kind of mean to the players on the Braves right now, but as these new players join the organization I hope there is a clear, defined role for everybody so that there aren't these kind of hiccups like, you know, the Micah Johnson thing and, and then uh, the whole 40-39 man uh, roster problems that they've had. You know, remember Emilio Bonifacio? Oh, yes. It seems like it's a bunch of people arguing against each other when it needs to be. Well, you would hope it'd be a more unified, unified front and these problems wouldn't occur. Yeah, that's where I'm at. I mean, I, I had some skepticism about this uh, well before the Rosenthal, the Rosenthal piece. And listen, he's one of the most respected people in the industry, so I have little, I have no, I have little reason to doubt his reporting here. I'm not saying that he uh, that it's some sort of bombshell that has to be uh, an immediate, you know, rectified situation in the uh, in the front office. But 
I do, uh, my ears perked up quite a bit when I was uh, hearing and then reading that piece from Rosenthal. Uh, just as a plug of something that I had nothing to do with, I would certainly buy an athletics and, and a, a subscription to The Athletic if you like baseball uh, and, or a lot of different things because Rosenthal's writing and reporting is always uh, pretty fantastic. Uh, I already have it and it sort of pays for itself. Um, and a lot of people were immediately uh, messaging me knowing that I had it to say, what's this, what's this piece say? Because uh, it, because it's that was behind a paywall. So there's that. But yeah, no, I don't know. I'm, I'm not terribly, it didn't get me ser- terribly excited or like change my thinking on this at all. I just I've sort of always w- wondered slash worried about them uh, having a bunch of voices in there, whether it be Sherholtz or whether it be uh, Hart versus Copy or how, whatever scenario that you think it might be. Um, just the way that they've attacked like the Marcakis thing, for instance. I understood the Matt Kemp thing because uh, obviously they had made the, the huge blunder with Oliver and had to kind of get away from that. So I never faulted them necessarily for that, even if, if, if I didn't love it. But uh, just signing Bartolo and Ari Dickey, which I was again okay with, but I think they've just they've they've tried really hard to be you know quote unquote respectable in the last couple of years when uh, a that hasn't really worked on the field and b I'm just not sure how much that matters. I understand I guess placating to your fans a little bit, but it better work and it hasn't. Like if you're gonna go out and spend real money on vets um, to save face, like. For me, this is just my opinion, but I don't care if you win 65 or 71 games. Um, maybe fans do, and I understand that's that's why you do it. It's because fans might care um, if you do that. That's why you, at the very beginning of this thing, they went out and paid Nick Marcakis four years and $44 million when he didn't fit the timeline at all. I understand all of that. I just there is this push and pull that I've always wondered about, and this sort of shed a line on it, a light on it, even if it just didn't blow things out of the water. If that makes sense. Yeah, I totally agree. It's you see two different, uh, two different trains of thought going on between you know play play the or signing vets and then trying to play the younger players, and it's you know and I'm I'm 100% on board with you with regards to uh, to win total like it really doesn't matter how many wins how many games you win if you end up not making the playoffs. I guess they I guess they might have really thought that they had. A- fringe chance this year like I didn't think that but maybe the front office really said you know maybe maybe we maybe we get to 83 this year uh, and I, thought, I, I don't see that but maybe they thought maybe they thought it at the beginning of the year I mean in, in retrospect obviously a lot of things went wrong I mean Cologne for instance like blowing up did not help things but even that my thing is even if, if things went reasonably right if everything hit they still wouldn't have won 83 games that's my thing yeah I think the only way they would have made the playoffs is if the wildcard two spot was particularly bad and literally everything went right because you look at that lineup, that early season lineup in it, and it's just like, okay, didn't instill in much confidence. Yeah, no. Um, yeah, that's, that's a, that's a good way to put it. But uh, I don't know. I sort of transitioned to this and then something I was talking about, uh, about this with a couple of national guys today on Twitter about um, this sort of push pull in, in conjunction with Snicker, who I wanted to ask you about. My thoughts are kind of out there on Snicker, but uh, and and they're not very positive. But it was the the question that came up was uh, how much is he not not how much is he to blame for this, but like the way that he's handled some things. It was uh, actually in, in response to a discussion about leaving uh, Max Fried in the game for the fifth to close the fifth inning today, which was sort of a very very small scale thing. But it was framed by this uh, guy on Twitter who uh, I'll just say it's, it's Tommy Stuckey, a fan rack, who's who's a good guy, he's a smart guy. Um, but it's not a Braves necessarily a Braves focused guy, and he was saying that it sort of spoke to Snickers' uh, way of treating the young guys and having uh, his focus on the young guys versus uh, the old guys. And I kind of said, well, that's not really Snickers' mo. He's more of a guy who is uh, focused on winning in the now and really kind of catering to vets. Um, so as, with that as a backdrop here, I just sort of bridging into I was going to ask you about this anyway, but Snicker, uh, sort of where are you on Snicker? Because that was the question that a lot of, a lot of our mailbag questions were around Snicker today, and my thoughts are kind of out there. So I'm really just going to ask you and stay out of the way. Ooh, uh, I don't I, – I, I hear he's a great players manager, but that doesn't really mean much to me. I think you want to find someone that puts your team in the best chance to win. And so a lot of his lineup decisions don't make sense. Uh, his, you know, his handling of the bullpen's a little weird. He seems to want to put players in roles and not 
base it on situation. So I saw Jim Johnson go out there so many times in high leverage situations. Uh, I don't think he's the I don't think he's the right fit for us going forward. I'd like to see someone that's more flexible with their lineup construction, someone who's willing to put in a lineup that optimizes the type the type of talent you have. Uh, that's why last year I was really actually hoping we would get Bud Black because of what he was able to do in, in San Diego with those rosters, and he was really good catering to that to that young staff. Uh, he got a lot out of some pretty okay at best players on their in their pitching staff, and so I was looking forward to hopefully seeing what he could do with this wave of talent coming up so i really wanted bud black and to see snicker resigned i was a little frustrated but i understood it as well because you don't want to uh it was going to be let's be real this year was going to be a, a bit of a dead year we didn't really expect too much uh so i i understood it but now bud black is thriving in colorado he's making them into a winner and it's kind of disheartening to see that we may have lost that opportunity i don't know who's going to be available next year so who knows the Snickers back? Uh, but to answer your question, I I hope he's not. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I, I, I swore I swore I was going to stay out of the way, but yeah, the the question we get asked all the time is like, who's going to replace him? And you got to tell me who's available. I mean, that's it's an impossible yeah. question. I mean, managerial candidates are really difficult to assess if they're not already managers. Like guys that have never been managers before, like you got to tell me what the guy's philosophy is, and we're just not going to know that. If that makes sense, like. That's, that's that's like the number one retort when people when I, when I say that I don't want to be back. It's like, well, who you want him to hire? And I'm like, well, you got to tell me who's available. Like, it's not a it's not a Brian Snicker thing. It's a philosophical. Like, I think he doesn't understand math, and I don't think he yeah. understand. I mean, that's the that's honestly my biggest problem is just the strategic stuff. But I just don't. I think it matters a lot, like to be flexible and just kind of understand analytical baseball. He just doesn't, it's a very, he's very old school, which is why a lot of people like him. He's a player's manager, as you said before, you know, Freddie's gone about for him now multiple times, all that stuff matters. Um, but my whole thing is you gotta, the question of you gotta tell me who is going to replace him. You, no one's going to know that like last year was unique and the blood black became a thing because he was not employed by someone, but he had already been a manager. Most of the time, the guys that you would want are currently managing another team or they've never been managed before. And you just don't have any way of knowing if they're going to be good. I know one of the hot names right now is Mark DeRosa, and a lot of people like him because of his his leaning. He he leans towards analytics a little more on his show, and but I mean, you don't know anything about him. You don't know if he's capable of. But Grob, he, he was know. he was employed by the Braves under Bobby Cobb. Yeah, he has to be an option. I think I think the Braves really miss an opportunity between Dave Roberts and Bud Black, and hopefully they're able to find a candidate next year that is able to do like a hybrid players manager slash also understands when he needs to put his, you know, when he needs to be innovative, uh, like someone like Joe Madden, it seems like Joe Madden, everyone loves and is like, okay, I'm willing to do what he does. Cause he puts us in the best chance to win. Even with like the players, even you know, you'll have Rizzo hitting lead off sometimes cause he was his, he had the highest chance of getting on base, you know, stuff like that, taking gambles. Uh, hopefully there's going to be a manager available and it, it seems like if we wanted to go that way, it would have to be a gamble on someone like DeRosa. But yeah, you really just don't know who's available. Yeah, and that's that's always my response. But I'm glad you kind of are on the same page there. But yeah, I'm, I think we're in agreement on Snit in general. But I wanted to at least ask you um, last little section before I let you get out of here, man. Uh, minor league stuff, which is sort of your bread and butter, of course. Um, the headliner this week was that uh, eight players are going to the Arizona Fall League, headlined by Ronald Acuna. Uh, who is important, obviously, on a number of levels. Uh, you haven't been around in a while. I wanted to tee you up on some uh, kind of whatever you wanted to talk about minor league-wise, but that was sort of the headliner. And, of course, Okunin uh, getting a National Player of the Year award, also intriguing. Uh, but he, he's awesome. We talk about him all the time, but p- please feel free to fawn over him and uh, do anything else you want. Ooh, this is... The floor is, is yours, my friend. Pretty cool. This is your I area. will have to say one thing. I know a lot of people are discouraged over the fact that there is going to be no Braves... Uh, farm team in, a, in the playoffs this year after last year where they had seemingly every single uh, level playing. Uh, I want to say that's not a testament to the uh, players' capabilities. I've seen a lot of people echoing frustrations about that. This is actually one of the most, in terms of the 
in terms of the players that you want to succeed, uh, I've never seen so many of those players do so well before. Uh, I've all, you also see like a new introduction to a third wave of pitching prospects. I know you saw Newcomb and, and Sims uh, debut this year, and then you're talking about uh, Allard, Soroka, that being the next wave. And then this third one you, where you have the ascension of Jeremy Walker now, who's becoming a, a viable uh, a viable prospect option that could crack top 30 status next year. Uh, Bryce Wilson, Joey Wentz having a great dynamic year. The pitching depth in this organization is absolutely unreal. And I've also seen a lot of people complain about bats in the organization. Well, I'm sorry, but uh, the bats were <laughs> extremely good this year as well. Riley has turned it on ever since being promoted to double uh, A. And that's actually something that Talking Chops own Matt Powers talked about. He predicted that as soon as Riley was um, promoted, that he would succeed at a higher level, mainly because you see more polished pitching prospects and Riley does well with recognizing the zone. And so it's what else like, I'm just trying to think of all the of all the uh, the plethora of prospects we have. Uh, I I saw a comment earlier about people wanting to go with the with more a, a more bat faced uh, a, a more bat. Um, what am I trying to say? Bat wow. focused. Yes, bat focused drafts, and uh, that's basically what they did in the international signing period, where most of their high high signings were all bats. Uh, when the minor league crew went down to Orlando to check out that GCL team, we didn't get to see my time, but we still came away incredibly impressed with people like Juan, uh, like uh, Encarnacion, Severino. Those players, we're talking high ceiling prospects that are bats. So don't worry, guys. That wave of like, and then you look at the top of our prospect rankings. Most of them are international players as well. Uh, the international scouting department has done just a tremendous job uh, improving uh, our farm. And I know I'm a little bit all over the place, but this is a lot to talk about in a very small amount of time. Oh, I love it. Cook on it. This is, this is, this is, this is, what, I, this is what I crave. But <laughs> this is not my area, so please. Do anything there else. are just so many people that you can watch next year. And I'm sure next year you're going to see someone like Soroka or Allard banging on the door into Atlanta. I don't see it happening, but you will see Johara, who was, I cannot wait. He's going to be on the 40 man apparently coming up uh, tomorrow, most likely. And uh, if you were happy, if you had fun watching Freed, you're going to have fun watching Johara, who has a fastball slider combination that I have. It's unreal. And if you think new, watching Newcomb throw an easy 95 is fun, wait until you see Johara throw an easy 99. And then his slider it's basically unhittable. Right now, they're going to try and keep him as a as a starting pitcher because his his changeup is a little is a little needs a little work, and it's probably what they're going to work on most of the offseason and probably next year as well. But right now, if you put him in the pen, which I don't want to do, I know that's a very common thing to say, but if you put him in the pen, he'd be a lights out, guaranteed. I don't see his his four is a an elite relief pitcher that's how much i believe in him and uh i just I, i'm intrigued about next year i want to see who they promote i want to see acuna uh you know in the outfield uh actually i'm not going and talking about the farm but uh, one of my dream moves would be being able to drop camp and marcakis and bring up acuna and signing jd martinez for a martinez acuna and their outfield, and then you put Rio and Camargo at third, Dansby, Ozzy, Freeman, and then Flowers. I think that's a pretty solid lineup. And then you go big on starting pitching. It's probably Someone what like, uh, it's probably what Ted Turner would have done if he he, he could have just eaten the thirty million on uh, on Kevin Marquez. But I don't think Liberty Media is doing that. Yeah, I mean, I looked at the li- I looked at the money, and I think the payroll is down to seventy million. So I could see him maybe eating one of those contracts, but not two. That's just not going to happen. They're not going to eat both of them while signing big, you know, while signing a, a big free agent like JD Martinez. But if it happens, that's my dream roster for next year. And then you go after someone like Alex Cobb, maybe pay him a little more, and then go all in on relief. 
even though you know you have this plethora of relief pitching prospects, uh, like a Corbin Klaus is going to be in the AFL, um, Devin Watts has done well this year too, but you need to start. It's going to suck. It's going to suck, especially for the minor league crew next year, because you're going to see some of these players being traded, and it's been fun watching them develop. But it's the nature of the game, and I think we're going to see a lot of turnover next year. I, I do believe the Braves are going to try to trade for like an impact third baseman. Uh, I think they're probably set with flowers behind the plate, but um, yeah, I, I can totally see him trading for a, a third baseman. You're going to see a lot of these players gone, but don't worry that that wave and and low and rookie ball and stuff is extremely high, extremely high ceiling, very talented. And I think we're set up going on from maybe not next year, but 2019 on, uh, Braves are set up really nicely and I like it. Yeah. It's, it's really a beautiful thing. Um, which is kind of all that needs to be said at this point. Obviously, the Major League team is not a whole lot of fun, but the setup's fine. If they can execute it, we'll see if that happens. But uh, And if all these guys hit, of course, they're not all going to hit, as we all know. Um, mm-hmm. There'll be a trade or two that are still coming. We, we keep saying that, and the big one hasn't happened yet, but I just can't see a, a scenario where they never make the big trade, if that makes sense. Like, they're going to have to give up some of these guys. It's also a little irresponsible if you have a lineup filled with like six rookies. I mean, that's just that's just not fair. Yeah, I mean, it's not. <laughs> you have a hard time selling me on that as a as a strategy. Yeah. I under, understand if everybody hits, how fun it would be, but everybody's not going to hit. I mean, it's just not what happens. Like even if you have guys who are like lights out every position, which you have a lot of these guys are like top tier prospects. Um, but still, like you're just not going to hit on every single one of them, yeah. at least at least to the top degree. I mean, a lot of these, a lot of the time, your top tier prospects, if they quote unquote don't hit, they still are useful players. Like Dansby, for instance, if Dansby doesn't hit hit in a big way, like like number one overall pick kind of hit, he still he still could easily be a ten year starting shortstop and just be like okay, like that's hitting in some way. You know what I'm saying? Like he doesn't have to be a star. But if you're like if he's like if he's a two win player at shortstop, like that's fine. Like it's not like it's not a bad player. Same it's with Ozzy. Yeah, it's still gonna be better than a majority of minor leaguers. Oh, so. for sure. I mean, I think I think a lot of people think he's a disappointment if that happens. But and I get it when when you're the number one overall pick, the expectations are a little bit different. Especially when the last time the Braves had a guy that was that guy was Chipper. Um, mm. which kind of raises that bar a little bit. Um, but I don't know, man. Uh, I think that's pretty uh, – I think it's safe to be excited still, even if uh, this year at the major level didn't go great. But as you, as you kind of talk about, I think we're going to do more on this uh, next week or week after when the minor season is actually over. We'll sort of do like a, full, a full-blown a full re- retrospective. But it's a good primer there from you, which I, uh, I fully appreciate, my friend. Um, we'll enjoy next week. Yeah, I mean, I'm going to have to uh, – at some point, actually, during the off-season off – I will probably just try to steal the, road, the entire road to Atlanta crew on the podcast together, and just like try to try to direct traffic on a podcast, like a full blown minor league crossover episode. Um, I think we're just playing the podcast on the podcast right now, but that's probably going to happen. I'll talk to Eric about that because that'll be fun um, for me because I, I won't have to actually give any opinions. I can just say, uh, like, you guys talk now. It'd be good. Do you want a um, you want a, a sleeper pick for next year? Oh, please give it to me. That's this is, uh, this is what I'm here for. We, we've talked. I've talked about him a lot on Twitter, and I'm sure the other the other three from the minor league crew have talked about. But um, John Carlos Encarnacion. I have heard the name. Um, I will him. not claim to be well versed, so tell people a little bit about him if you don't mind, too. Uh, he is probably he's a gigantic third baseman, and we watched him down in Orlando, and he was he made some stellar plays. I think this is a guy who ends up sticking at third despite being massive. He barreled up everything. He looked so advanced despite being the, around the same age as all the players. Uh, he might be really good. He might be someone that just kind of, you know, he wasn't a significant signing, but uh, he's got the skill set to be very talented. So so does another player, uh, another, another smaller uh, signing, international signing, Jeffrey Ramos. Uh, he might be a legitimate five-tool player. That's a putting... You know, everything works out well for him, perfect for him. But uh, those two, keep an eye on them. Outside your normal top 30, you know, your Drew Waters and, and Kevin Maitans, John Carlos Encarnacion and Jeffrey Ramos. 
you heard it here first, people. Um, well, man, I appreciate you coming on, Garav. Uh, please plug yourself and anything else you want to get out there. If you've got anything coming writing-wise, I know i got to write something this week uh, in a little bit longer form that I have not decided what I'm going to do yet, so that will be coming on TalkingChop.com. But uh, anything you got going that you want to plug and plug your Twitter account? Yeah, actually, I just finished my last recap of the season for minor league baseball, so uh, I am done in terms of writing. However, if you'd like to follow me on Twitter, I'm at GVDAC. I do like making, you know, I, I do like talking minor league baseball and uh, MLB baseball, so hit me with any questions you ever have. Uh, I have a podcast of my own. Uh, it's at Road to Atlanta with the number two. We talk mainly minor league baseball. It's the Talking Shop minor league crew. Uh, you can reach us out there. And, um, yeah, that's about it. Looking forward to uh, this offseason and seeing how everything takes place and shapes up for the 2018 campaign. Yeah, it should be fun. It's going to be a long offseason, I think. It's going to feel long, at least, um, just because of how uh, weird this season has been. But uh, it also gives us a chance to recharge and be excited again, because I think I've, I sort of lost that a little bit. So mm-hmm. it'll, be, uh, it'll be good. I think by, by December, I'll be fired up again. Uh, <laughs> but anyway, uh, well, thanks again, man, for coming on. Uh, we'll, do, we'll have to do it again. Of course. Very, very shortly. I apologize for taking the uh, for so, 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 such a long sabbatical. But you'll be back again uh, shorter than it was this time, for sure. Looking forward to it. Pe- the people need it. So uh, as for everybody else, we'll be back again next week. As always, subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or wherever you listen to the podcasts. And also follow us, of course, at Talking Chop on Facebook and on Twitter. And uh, read the site, talkingchop.com. Thanks for listening, everybody. We'll see you guys again next week. <laughs>